0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Make the logo
1: big. Make the logo bigger. Hey everybody!
0: Make Welcome back to the podcast, Confessions of a Creative Director. Make the original podcast made by a creative director for creative directors, for aspiring creative directors, for creatives of all types. This is your program. So uh, welcome to the show. How's everybody doing? I am doing great. I'm super excited because my book has come out. Uh, What's the big idea? An indispensable guide to becoming a kickass creative director. It's available on Amazon. I'm super uh, proud of this book and I hope um, that you will check it out. I wrote this book really as I thought about it for the younger version of myself as I was coming up. Um, I had some great mentors, got a lot of experience along the way, but there was never really any kind of resource that gave me a big picture view of the role of a creative director. And so that was what I set out to do with this book. We talk about everything from overcoming imposter syndrome to really what the job is all about, what the F does a creative director really do. Uh, We talk about misconceptions about the role. We talk about uh, maintaining great relationships and forming great relationships with other departments and other people involved in the day-to-day work. We talk about uh, laying the foundation for developing killer ideas principles for an effective creative process. It's all in here, how to lead a team, how to pitch creative. Um, so I hope that you will pick this up for yourself or for someone that you know that is an aspiring creative that could benefit from this book. And speaking of books, on today's show, I have uh, the privilege of speaking to my new pal, Dan Nelkin, who is the author of a, an amazing book for copywriters called A Self-Help Gu- Self Guide, for copywriters. Uh, It's really taken off and I'm super happy to have met him. Uh, He's just a really great guy. This episode is filled with all kinds of really great nuggets of wisdom. So be sure to uh, have your notepad and your pen ready to take uh, a lot of notes because you're going to get a lot out of this episode. So without further ado, Dan Nelkin. Hey, Dan, how are you?
1: (laughs) I'm doing great. Jaime. How are you? Thanks for having me on.
0: I'm doing well. I'm especially excited to speak to you after our we had a little uh, pre-call the other day, and I felt like uh, I had met a kindred spirit. Uh, it seems yeah. like we we have a lot of a lot in common and are uh, sort of doing similar things. So uh, I'm just really excited to talk to you today.
1: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited too. I, I love what you're doing. I love your podcast. I think it's so important and so helpful. And uh, I hope I don't uh, cost you uh, t- too many listeners today. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're, it's, I think it's going to be
0: great. And as a matter yeah. of fact, I was doing a podcast. I was a guest on somebody's podcast earlier today, and the subject came up about um, about copywriting. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and I and I mentioned your book, which yeah. I am eagerly awaiting because I want to read that. But uh, I mentioned your book and I know that, um, you know, your book is really helping a lot of people. And actually, I think that's probably a a great place to start. Why don't you tell us a little bit uh, about you, um, but then also tell us about this amazing book that you've written to help uh, creative directors. I'm sorry, to help copywriters.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I so I, I obviously I'm a copywriter started out. In the ad agency world here in vancouver canada where i am uh, so i started at Cossette, which was the biggest agency kind of network in canada and then moved on to a tbwa shy day here in vancouver i guess the short story is uh i was always a very i don't know how how it compares to other people but i'll just say i was very insecure i feel like more than other people but i'm sure everyone feels that and thinks that the, uh, their case is worse than others yep. but uh I burnt out fairly early on and uh, started freelancing and did some different things, was creative director for an animation studio for a while. And then I ended up getting back into it, uh, copywriting, working for ad agencies. And I'm like, oh, there's that same like, self-doubt. I'm like, I must have learned something by now. I can't believe it still exists. And right. Anyway, years ago, it was probably eight years ago, I said, I'm going to work. I was going to create an online course for writing headlines, which is something I struggled with as a writer. I was like, well, I couldn't tell anyone I had this feeling. This is kind of what I'm right. paid to do. Right. And I mentioned it to some other like seniors, creative directors, and they're like, oh, yeah, I feel the same way. So I knew I was on to something and uh, I just started to break down the process of writing headlines, which is the same I realized for any kind of creativity, any idea like a great headline is not a great sentence. You don't have to be a writer. It's a great idea expressed right. in words. And so that's kind of what led to the book, It started out as a course that never happened. Um, I, I met for lunch with a creative director at the time of Lululemon. Yeah. And uh, they wanted me to work for them at the time. I couldn't. But in that conversation, I mentioned this course I was working on and what I had realized about writing headlines. So an hour later, he emails me and says, uh, you know, it's too bad you can't work for us. But can you come in and teach that course? And so. <laughs> I didn't have a course. So I, you know, I, I said to high estimate and uh, hoping to scare him off a bit. And so that's what led to it. I said, you'd get a booklet. All the writers would get a booklet as part of this training. And he yeah. got canned. Uh, so I never did the, the course. And it was the start of a booklet. So seven years later, it's called a self-help guide for copywriters. And it's just what I always needed. And, you know, you never know. Who needs what or how it will help other people? So I just stayed uh, true, kind of to what would have been helpful to me in kind of an empathetic way and maybe a dumb way, where it's like we hear all of these things or things. Copy should be short. It should be this. These are all the techniques, but they never actually worked. Fine, so I didn't apply any of them, and so I was like, "Why?" Right. There's like a piece missing in, in all these books, and so I'm like, "I'm I'm dumber than that. I need to like take this a step farther and break it down." So that's what I did, and I think because I struggled with the self doubt and insecurity, that informed the title. And I also talk a lot about kind of your inner critic and, and getting through that, which all of us feel, and we don't really talk about, you know. Absolutely. At work. Yeah. And
0: and we're we're gonna talk about that for sure in the in the second half of the uh, podcast. We're gonna we're gonna delve into that. But um, just to close this part out, I mean, what yeah. a, I, I love a the the sort of how it all came together right the serendipity of it but also I love that you said yes even Mm -hmm. though you knew that you didn't have the booklet you knew that you didn't have the course (laughs) you saw the opportunity and and said yes to it and I think that that's something that a lot of people don't do and it's always been very helpful in my career to be able to say yes and it's it's just neat to see you know that you did that and you said you know, you knew, you knew that you would be able to figure it out. And you said, this is probably an opportunity that I need to take advantage of. And you said, yes. So that's, that's very cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, I do thank that guy in the book, I sent him a copy because, you know, I think we as creatives, we obviously get paid to come up with ideas for for brands and build other companies. But we also have them for ourselves. Sure. And, you know, we don't pursue most of them for endless reasons that we tell ourselves. But I got some pretty instant validation. Like, you know, you have that strong feeling where I think this is good and I think it's important, which I've had before and it goes away over time if you don't pursue it. Right. And I got it with just just the right timing where I felt like I was onto something and then got some validation pretty quick. And then I just didn't let it go. It was just so important for me to finish something of my own. So it took from that point, it was seven years until I hit publish on that thing. But. I just knew because I want to create more for myself. And I knew it wasn't about selling a book. It was about creating something helpful for myself. But more than anything, it was finishing something. So then I could just build a habit of following through on my own ideas and build yeah. my own thing, which is what I'm doing now.
0: That's great. So um, let's talk a little bit about. What you see the role of a creative director as? Obviously, you've kind of transformed into something much bigger than that, and you're an educator, and you're an advocate, and you're a you know you're a, you're a thought leader. But in terms of the creative, the role of a creative director, how would you describe that to somebody that maybe is outside of our business? Because that's probably the best way to think about it, right? I, yeah. I love metaphors. I love um, mm-hmm. different ways of thinking about the role. How would you describe it?
1: I'll, I'll give you a good metaphor that uh, is not my own. Uh, Matt Cascarino, he's a chief creative officer at an agency in Buffalo, New York. He said a good creative director is like a, a good server in a restaurant. Hmm. You don't see them for the most part. They're there on, You're there only when they need you. So you got to kind of, it's not about your ideas anymore. It's about managing a team and empowering other people and just kind of guiding things. But I, I always love that you know it's not about you getting involved and in micromanaging it's like yeah kind of there there when they need you but for the most part stay out of the way and uh, i wonder
0: yeah. is there is also um because that's interesting and, and i i often talk about this um is there also that element of service of serving somebody somebody else because i know i like to be of service and that's something that i try to do in terms of you know with my team sometimes it's and that could be literally like i used to have a a bar cart that i would walk around and make cocktails (laughs) for my team on on fridays or whatever but just that idea of like serving right serving others and you know taking care of their needs as well
1: i think so i think really i think what a creative director's job is it's much different than for a lot of people what what got them there and it's being that's being a good creative but being a creative director I think you're the red thread between the agency's vision and the smallest piece of work that's going out, and making sure whether it's attracting the business that's aligned with that vision, as I think too few agencies have like a good brand. The good ones do, and I think what creates a lot of chaos and stress in agencies is when you're getting business, all kinds of business, and you're forcing creatives who want to do this kind of work to do X. and creative directors forcing them to push the creative, but the business was never brought in to do that. The, the client doesn't want that. And I think it creates yeah. a lot of chaos. So I think a a good creative director is kind of the red thread. What's going out, the brand of the agency and what you're attracting and making sure the creatives are delivering on, on that and empowering the creatives to do their best work and making sure everyone's kind of pulling in the same direction.
0: Yeah. And so when when you were more sort of in the trenches, what would you, what were some of you, uh, some of your signature go-to things or, 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 you know, sort of some of your processes or ways of, you know, rallying the team or generating ideas? Do you, do you have some things that you can share uh, for the audience as, as part of your process?
1: You know, I think you just have to get to know your team and take the time to get to know your team. It's not the annual review where you're sitting down. I think you have to do it a lot more regularly than that and know how to motivate each one of them. I I worked with this one girl, maybe the best writer specifically of headlines for sure of anyone I worked with, but she was so anxious and her standard was so high. She just kind of crippled herself. So I would tell her that the goal here was to create something that wasn't embarrassing. If we achieve that, we're good. I took the pressure off her because I knew it would be great. I just needed her to relax more. And I said, as long as it's not embarrassing, we're fine. And she laughed and she continued to produce good work. So I think it's just understanding the people and, uh, you know, not, not just their creative abilities, but understanding them and what's going on in their lives will will make you a better, um, better leader for them. Yeah. Serve them better.
0: And when you were, so when you were developing, can you give me an insight as to when you, when you were in the sort of in the agency world, can you give us kind of an idea of the types of things that you were
1: working on? Yeah, I mean, I always had a partner. So Mm. typical like ad agency structure, you know, copywriter, art director. Yeah. So when I started, I immediately was working on some fairly big brands up here in Canada. So uh, McDonald's was one. Uh, Nintendo so it was it was uh, bigger campaigns we call them back then we didn't call them 360 campaigns but right. everything I did a ton of, of TV back in the day and uh, yeah the two agencies I work for I happen to be even though I wasn't that senior yeah. uh, for whatever reason I was on the s- senior team pretty quickly I would say yeah. about a year and a half in wow. i was. Seemed to be paired with the most like senior art directors and working on you know, the biggest business for the clients and was, was part of the lead team on that. So I, I did everything, uh, before I became like CD Con- concepting was very involved in strategy. I've always loved strategy, uh, presenting to yeah. clients. I was always one of the lead kind of presenters, not always, but I became that and really enjoyed that. Uh, and then, yeah, just working, working with kind of management to make sure we're attracting the right business and doing the right things. Um, yeah. So
0: what what kinds of things did you see work well when you were working with your partner? You guys were developing <laughs> concepts and ideas because I've I've never worked in that partner model, and I'm I'm kind of I'm sort of bummed that I never had that yeah. opportunity because it sounds a it sounds really cool. I've talked to some to some folks who have like lifelong, you know, I wouldn't even call them friendships. It's, they seem deeper than that, but they have yeah. these connections with their with their partner. But how would you? typically you know and it sounds like you may be switch partners but mm-hmm. what what sort of things did you see worked when coming up with with concepts right um, and what kinds of things maybe conversely did you see maybe that didn't work i'm just curious if you can share some insights on on that
1: yeah i mean it's it's funny now if i go in if i freelance it's st- it still often works that way where i'll be paired up with an art director and I can see people who have this is this is I'll get to I guess the heart of your question uh, after this but when I'm paired up with someone who is more junior I can tell they're like it's almost like a first date and the first time you're working together and they're kind of nervous but you know I'm just here to do the work like and you have to find a way to kind of connect but also if you just get right into the work they seem to like be put more at ease. Often like complimenting them on an idea early, so they're yeah. feeling good and not like threatened and right. being supportive. But I think what what's great about for me working with different people, especially different discipline. So an art director, they have different interests. They also speak a different language, you know, of art direction. Right. So you learn more of that skill set. Um, I think everyone communicates differently. I remember with a. Uh, what's his name? John Williamson it was like day two of working with this guy. And he was more senior and won all the awards. And I had just moved over to this new agency and it was like our second time jamming together. And I spit out an idea and he just went, made a fart noise. There was no feedback. Wow. It actually made me feel pretty good. I just laughed. It was like, it's not personal. Like, you know, he's a, he's a good guy. And I, w- I wouldn't advise that because, you know, you build <laughs> off off bad ideas. But it was kind of comforting in a way. Um, So I I don't know what works. I think I still think you have to bring your own ideas to the table. And then together, I mean, there's nothing better than jamming on an idea or laughing your head off and and going back and forth. That's what I really loved about it. And but I think ultimately, usually the core of an idea comes out of one brain, and then you bring it to to each other and, and make it better.
0: and and so typically um you're receiving some kind of brief that you're oh, yeah. working on typically and if you can if you can remember back like what was what you know from the entire brief what was the one thing you typically would hone in on was there something that you would hone in on typically
1: yeah always um i mean the standard briefs that would come in like this is kind of basic but what is the audience thinking right now related to whatever it is you're selling, uh, what do we want them to think after? And then the one line was like, what is the single most persuasive thing we can say to get them from here to there? And so there was usually, I mean, there was supposed to always be one compelling thing in a brief often, often they're not, but the ones that were good, um, you know, did have that one thing. Everything should be about one thing. And, you know, working with an art director, this is how I got away with not building my craft or writing headlines because the world is so visual. All I did was work in a sketchbook and a pen. I just drew. Here's all my ideas. Here's a simple little tagline and uh, whatever. Here's French fries in the shape of a Wi-Fi symbol. I didn't do that one, but, you know, it was like uh, and the art directors loved them because they were visual ideas. And um, yeah,
0: you you seem just in our conversations to be um, uh, someone that kind of is uh, you seem to be very empathetic, right? And and kind of understand people. Um, and you even mentioned it a, a, a little while ago about you know trying to make somebody comfortable and whatnot. So when you are looking at a a, at a brief, do you? Uh, it sounds like you took it all in, but do you? Would you tend to focus maybe on some audience specifics since you do seem to be able to
1: kind of dial people in a little bit? I, I think. I mean, I don't know. Consciously, I can't say like. Yes, exactly that, but you know, I have to think back, I think what I always tried to do was like be honest, mm. I, I think honesty could, in yeah. advertising I know I'm well I did uh, uh Nintendo, I did a campaign yeah. for Nintendo years ago, and I didn't play video games, right I didn't play them because they were too addictive, and we had. It was Nintendo. And so we got an old Nintendo system in a boardroom. And so we would just sit and play video games all day and brothers or whatever. Anyway, we're like, this is so addictive. So we came out. The whole campaign was, uh, the tagline was too much fun. And it was a bunch of addicts. We created a Nintendo recovery center. We're like, you're going to buy this for your kids. We're going to tell you exactly what it is. So yeah. I think I always tried to find a truth yeah. in it. And uh, that way I felt like I was being honest or being empathetic to your point. Uh, so, yeah, I think I do. I, I mean, I, I was thinking just the other day, like if the whole industry had to go around a room and answer this one question, honestly, it would improve so, so much of the work and yeah, whatever personal content. And that is, would I like this? Right. <laughs> a lot of times I bet the answer is no. You're like, oh, it looks cool. It's answers the brief. It's got all these things in it. But would I right. actually like this?
0: Uh, yeah. I yeah I I, I just um, I just added in this this I had a I had sort of a thought uh, a few days ago I'm like I gotta jam this into my into my book and, I, and yeah. I was able to fit it in but I started I've been doing this thing and I'm trying to figure out maybe you can help me how to how to sort of build it out a little bit further but I've been doing this little exercise and maybe I'm gonna say something that people are like yeah I've been doing <laughs> that for years but it's what i like to do is when I wa- when I'm watching TV and I spot uh, a TV ad that really kind of strikes me in some way, I try to reverse engineer it. And I try to get back to what was the insight or what was the human truth that they that they started with that led them to this, right? And you can look cool. at, you can sort of look at, well, did they use humor or is it serious? And mm-hmm. what type of people were in the ad? Does that give you a clue as to who their target audience mm-hmm. was? And I try to reverse engineer it. But I think the things that, that strike me the most, and I probably think it strike consumers the most, is things that are real and things that are honest. And you're like, oh, I can relate yeah. to that guy because when I bought insurance, I did feel like an adult, right? And like those mm-hmm. commercials for Progressive, right? You're gonna turn into your parents. I'm like yeah. I get that. I get that insight. It's like you feel adult and you're kind of, you know, taking the next step. But I do agree with you that I think you know when you can find that honest human truth. The work is is better as opposed to trying to sugarcoat it with all kinds of other wow. stuff.
1: Yeah, I, I think when I started my career, I thought being creative meant coming up with something like no one had ever like thought of or heard of. And I just came up with some wacky shit. Even that Nintendo campaign was crazy, even though it was like born out of a truth. And then I realized I remember the campaign and the brief. It was some TV spots for a scratch and win scratch them in like lottery tickets. And they were really pushing things to be more every day. And I was kind of resisting. And so on an act of like defiance the night before the presentation, I wasn't happy with all of our spots. And they said, it has to be about couples. We want it to be couples, relatable scenarios. And I thought, okay, well, what are some obvious things that can it was, uh, you know, honey, do I look, does this make me look fat? Kind of I used kind of that joke was like, how would I turn that on its head? And I did. And that thing went on to win a bunch of awards. And I realized, ah, I remember it was the guy was sitting watching football, eating chips. And she walks in. And she said, honey, does this look good? And he went, yeah, it looks great. And she said, honestly, and he paused it. And he said, well, I still remember it all, actually. He says, well, you have a mesomorphic body shape. So that drop waistline only magnifies your short legs. So to elongate the leg line and give the illusion you even have a calf muscle, you really ought to be wearing at least a two inch heel. He's like, overall, it's not working. And then he put his game back on. And then it, <laughs> the, that was it. And it was like, okay, I went right at this obvious known truth. And I realized then that like creativity is and humor yeah. is twisting what we already know. It's something familiar. You're not reinventing everything. And I avoided those areas early on in my career until that moment. I was like, Oh, I get it.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's cool. And I have to I have to mark that one in my, I'm marking that here in my system here because that's a great story. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, that's that's really that's really awesome. Um, so that's sort of a lesson that you landed on. And you sort of taught yourself, I guess. Have there been other lessons or other uh, key things that that a mentor imparted onto you, or that somebody that you follow kind of shared with you, or what are some of the great lessons that you've learned through your journey
1: i mean i picked up a lot of subtle little things along the way for sure one thing that comes to mind is you know we have mentors in in like positive ways and negative ways you know you can learn uh from both sides right i had one experience that oddly could have been the most like traumatic but it helped me the most i shared this uh well, like a couple of years ago on LinkedIn, it was like fairly popular. I shared this post, and this was after a big pitch, and we were out celebrating. Me and the the creative director were the only two. I presented the work, and we were out celebrating with a team, and we were drinking, and uh, he had probably had too much, and for I can't remember how we got into it, but it was me, two junior designers, and he just started going. Can I can I swear? on this of course yeah but he was like you fucking right in my face you fucking suck at concepting you fucking suck at this and i was like about four years into my career you fucking it was like a long list of him just going at me and i just started smirking yeah like it felt actually so good because i was like i tell myself these things all the time yeah. And, you know, it was my inner critic it was like, here it is. It's this drunk idiot. It's like it's irrational. Oh my god! And I knew it was like an exorcism. I just started smiling at him and I could see the two junior designers were in shock. And I just kind of gave him the hand like, oh, it's fine. I'm, I'm not bothered by this. It's cool because hearing it said to me in that way made me realize, well, they weren't true. And of course, I'm not the best or perfect, but. I'm pretty good. Like, I'm not bad. And I knew we had some of the top creatives in Canada working on this particular project. And I know what was mine up on the wall. I was the one who presented. So I was like, yeah, I do suck at these things. But I'm pretty good at these things. And, you know, it just made me realize how ridiculous my own inner critic is. Like, why someone would say that? How is it helpful? And it was so freeing. I actually someone was going to punch this guy out like 10 minutes later, some stranger. And I got him into a cab. I hopped in with him. I took him home. Um, and I talked to him. Listen, the next day it was probably a Monday uh, and said, hey, I'm, I won't freelance for you anymore. I'm like, I don't know how much you remember, but uh, I was like, this is what I would need from a mentor, uh, not whatever that was. And I think he was apologetic and it was his first time being a CD and he had a lot to prove. And uh, I'm sure he regrets it and hopefully learn from it, but it was, uh, in terms of shaping me and something significant in my career, that was awesome. I was so grateful. Wow. Yeah.
0: Wow. So what's amazing about that is you sort of, I think if I'm hearing <laughs> you correctly, it was a, it was a two for one because not only did you recognize how basically he was, parroting back your own negative thoughts and your own, you know, insecurities, right? He was, he was basically telling, he was basically the lizard brain. He was the, the critic telling you, right? But then you probably also learned, I will never be, I will never do that when I'm in that role as a, as a leader. So it was almost like a two for one lesson.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it surprised me. It was actually so helpful. I would think like, It was a good opportunity for me, and not everyone's going to have the opportunity, so I actually encourage everyone to write down what their inner critic is saying. Like, write it down and read it, and you'll see, oh, my, like, why would I say these? It's so ridiculous. It's clearly not coming from, like, a a compassionate, a logical place. It's this lizard brain that you talk about. It just wants to feel, like, safe. And whenever it feels threatened, which is, like... When something is unresolved, which is how we spend most of our career in the like, not there yet space. And it's constantly scared saying, hey, we're in trouble. But we're not. And when you, and so I got to see that in that moment.
0: So if I guess this correctly, I'm going to be so proud of myself. (laughs) Was this the person that you sort of named the inner ding dong after? I think you mentioned the name. I don't know if it's safe to mention no. the name or not. But is this, the, is this the person that you named your inner critic after?
1: No, I would like to say his name, but I won't. I never have. I even defended him when I shared that post and people were quick to talk about yeah. you know, shitty leaders and people like, I don't wanna judge him on that one incident. Right. I know like being drunk, is you can't use that as an excuse after the age of like 14, so I will right. give him that. Um, But
0: he was going through some
1: other thing, some other... I think so. He had his own
0: internal demons that he had to figure out.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure he probably Mm -hmm. wanted to give me some feedback, and he just didn't know how, and... uh, so I don't, I don't know, but no, I didn't, uh, I, I want to say his name, but no, I yeah. did name my inner critic. Uh, I have visualized him as this little six-year-old boy who pisses his pants. His name is Alan.
0: Oh, that's right. I forgot Alan. about the six-year-old part. Yeah, Alan, yeah. Alan. So
1: when I do hear the voice still, as I still hear him, I'm just like, oh, hey, Alan. And I picture this boy who's pissed himself and off he goes. <laughs> and I just keep working because I just, it is ridiculous. And now that I have a six-year-old, I realize, you know, I'm like, that's about the age. I see him freaking out. Over things he can't do, my, my son and I'm like, oh yeah, I still do that. That's Alan.
0: Oh my gosh, Alan. Okay, yeah. <laughs> this is a perfect segue okay. into into this, the second part of our conversation here, it, it, and it's really about. I think you and I sort of have a have a shared mission, but hmm. I want to talk about yours. And and hmm. you know, when we were talking the other day, uh, y- you truly want to help uh, people, creative people, copywriters specifically with your, with your first book.
1: Um,
0: but your, your goal really is to just help people. Is that, would you say that that's true?
1: I think so. I think it took me a while to realize that. I think everyone wants to be helpful. Um, I think it made sense once I started doing this work that I, I cared. I always want to do great work. I still do work, but I always cared more about, uh, people. Than the work. And so I'm now able to like marry those things. So I'm just sharing what I needed help with. So I think the further down this path I go, I have a book, I have a course, uh, I'm working on another course, I'm doing some other things. And what I want to do ultimately is help other creative people create for themselves. Right. So I want to help them create more efficiently and with more confidence than I had for brands. And then I want to help them do the same, but creating stuff for themselves, like you doing this podcast. You have a right. book. I mean, that's why we're chatting today. I just, I think the rest of the world will be shocked at how much thought goes into the work we do as in advertising or as creatives. Right. That if we are able to create on social platforms or whatever, you know we. Our bottom is so much higher than most of the crap that's being produced. So we have usually healthier timelines or more thought goes into a campaign. But to turn things around in a day or two, if we can figure out how to do that, which I think we have to, yeah. um, and do it for ourselves. Like I say, our bottom is way higher than most of the stuff is out there. And we would improve uh, <laughs> social media by so much if we get past whatever's stopping us, which, which is a lot of things.
0: Yeah. And so... Um, the, the the your book is called a self guide a help a self help guide for copywriters yeah. and like I said I'm I'm anxiously awaiting my my copy here but tell us I mean what part of it is and I and I make a joke on the podcast that this podcast is like is like you know therapy for for creative directors what yeah. part you know if you had to break it down what part of the book is about that kind of self help and that kind of like you know silencing the inner critic versus the nuts and bolts about how to write better headlines and how to write better copy. Like, if you had to say, is it is it half and half? Is it,
1: you know, I would probably say it's seventy five percent craft and twenty five percent therapy, maybe yeah. less. I mean, everything is tied to creative. You know, I'm not sharing inspirational quotes about finding yourself. It's like anything that is in the self helpy side of things is tied to timing your creative sessions, for example, knowing your creative energy. Most of us are like, there's a great book called uh, Mind Management, not Time Management. Like most creative people in industries don't know anything about the brain. Yeah. That's the only thing we really need to do our jobs. Uh, And we expect it to do things. We keep it up late at night. It's like a terrorist interrogation, you know, wait until it spits out ideas. That's actually not how a brain works. Yeah. But most of us don't know how. And then you go back to the like our brain hates it or lizard brain, you know, when something's yeah. unresolved. So it never right. wants us to stop. But right. actually, you solve things by walking away from them. So that that's you know, self helpy. That's as self helpy as I get.
0: Sure. So it's all it all comes back to the work. Now, mm-hmm. um talking about this this is, I'm super fascinated about this, and I don't know if you're familiar or if you've read uh, Daniel Pink, A Whole New Mind. Yeah, Um, have have you, have you, yeah. yeah. And he talks about all that, right. About how, well, he talks partly about, uh, I think he wrote a whole separate book about the right time to do things, creative things and when to write and things like Mm -hmm. that. I think he says it's the afternoon, but I agree with you that, uh, you know, a lot of times we stop as we, as we rise up the ranks, we stop learning about, things either related to our craft or related to things like the brain that are then are directly related to what you do because everything that we do is with our brain, right? Mm-hmm. And I wonder, you know, what what your thoughts are about that and if, you know, this is also part of your own quest to just continue to learn, right? By by doing. You're learning by doing and by writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm shocked, really, at how common self-doubt, especially creative people are are more sensitive. Right. And how common self-doubt is. Yeah. It's part of building our craft, like working on that directly, but also building our creative craft. Yeah. At agencies for the most part, there's no real like creative professional development. Yeah. This is where I feel like stuff's starting to pop up. Like, I feel like it's time. Yeah. I think we, we spend all of our time thinking of ideas, but we need to think about thinking about ideas, maybe. That's what I think we need to do. We have to now to, to become more efficient, more confident. The, the like history of creativity and advertising or the purest. it's like just showing up at the blank page and waiting for the advertising gods to kind of deliver and just yeah. winging creativity. But if you don't know how you do what you do and you have no process, that's why you lack confidence. When you do like what you said earlier, you're breaking down creative. All of a sudden, you doing that is identifying patterns, it's how to think, you're thinking about thinking. But for the most part, we don't because we're so busy solving briefs and, and being consumed by them that Agencies need to like find ways to help creatives create more efficiently, finding their creative sweet spots, not booking meetings in those times uh, mm. for those people, and uh, and then help help them like be proactively build the craft and make sure there's time because if we're creating more efficiently, we'll have time to build the craft. It has to be worked worked in to what we do, and why wouldn't you want to invest in your team yeah. and and building that? So.
0: Yeah, and I think the good—I mean, I think the good individual creatives, in other words, you know, people that are working in the business do that stuff, right? I think, yeah, I think people like you and me who 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 like take that extra initiative, um, and then there there might be a reason why some other people can't, whether it's it's time constraints with their home or they have kids mm-hmm. or whatever. But yeah, why not build it into the day, right? I've, I've often—I haven't done this, but I've often thought about like, you know, how do I how do I get my team to feel comfortable enough to read a book, a a book about what we do or something related to what we do or heck, I guess, you know, anything really. But how do I say, Hey, this is part of your job or how do we make that part of everybody's day to day job to say like, Oh, I got to read. I, you know, it's my, Mm -hmm. I got to put in my, my hour, not during your lunch break, because everybody needs to unplug for a little bit, but how do we make normalize that and make that more, um, commonplace because ob- obviously, if you're lucky, your agency will send you to some cool conference, you know, once every mm-hmm. other year, or yeah. you have to really lobby to do it. But what's happening the rest of the time? You know, yeah. uh, I think that I think that people that have initiative are probably listening to podcasts or buying books like yours mm-hmm. or whatever. But there's some, there's probably a whole other group of people that aren't doing anything, and that's yeah. not good. That's not mm-hmm. good.
1: No, no, I've been so impressed actually since I've started doing this. Uh, the agencies and brands that have reached out to ask me come speak to them. So that's starting to happen. I haven't done it yet, but I am I'm have to figure out what that looks like. But uh, I love that and I hope it's something I can keep doing and more people start doing it. Um, just proactively working on our craft and getting off the hamster wheel. And,
0: so let's let's workshop this now that, yeah. that we have the, the opportunity here. <laughs> In your mind, or unless you don't want to, but you don't strike me as a person who wants to keep keep stuff uh, bottled up. In your mind, what might that look like? If you if you once you start developing this, which maybe you are already starting to, but what do you think that that might look like? Are we talking about a day long session? You think it's a couple days? What do you think it would look like for you to come in and?
1: Well, and do I think that? it depends. Um, I have this first course that I've created. I think if, if things are virtual, I think that's too too long and too boring. Like I just yeah. think there's ways we consume information. So right now, what I've done, I've broken it down into I have a three three talks. So one is you know self help guide for copy copywriters. It's kind of yeah. the essence of the book right. um, condensed into more like a lunch and learn type of thing. Attention okay. span. It's like forty minutes in a and A, Q&A, yeah. and then probably get the book as right. well. Um, and then there's access to the online course, which is a yeah. small part of the book. I'm going to do another one, which is the bigger portion. I have another talk that's like tentatively called a self-help guide for creatives. And this is more Ooh. about the creative process and how creativity actually works. It's about uh, confidence as well. Like I realized, you know, there's no confidence fairy that comes and taps you on the shoulder when you hit 10,000 hours. Right. If you. If you don't know how you do what you do, you'll never feel that calm. You can't just assume it's going to just arrive one day. I'll just stay quiet in my insecurity and it's going to come. It comes by knowing how you do what you do and deliberately working on your craft. And then the last talk right now that I have is um, tentatively called "A uh, Self-Help Guide for Creators. And that is going into agencies and brands and encouraging people to create for themselves, not those agencies and brands. Um, I think it serves the agencies and brands as well, but it's like freeing up your creativity and getting more in touch with why you decided to do this in the first place. Um, it's so freeing when you finally create for yourself. It doesn't even matter, you know, what the response is right. like to not have to get the approval and go through the layers and presentations, which can make work better, but it often just makes it fucking frustrating most of the right. time. So you can create for yourself and uh, so that's what that talk is about everything i've had to overcome and realize to start doing it and how it feels to do it to finally get over it and just i want other people to feel that too
0: yeah and and i think you know i want to spend some time talking about this too because i feel like we don't make enough stuff i mean we end up we we do it right but a it's a long process from let's say getting the assignment to you know getting a a brief made to ideating to generating the ideas to all that to presenting and then you know you have a small percentage chance that it's actually gonna get done and then at the end of the day you didn't make that much you got a bunch of stuff on paper you didn't necessarily go out and shoot anything or you know uh, design Mm -hmm. anything right so which is crazy to me right it's like we we don't make enough we don't we don't make enough stuff and then there's been some people that I've talked to on the podcast who who share our thought about like you got you got to just you got to make stuff because that's what we are and if mm-hmm. you're not making stuff there's probably a little part of you that dies if you're yeah. not making stuff so is that what you yeah. mean by like just doing and crafting and being a yeah. creator
1: i mean the joy comes in the doing not right. the overthinking and overanalyzing once you, as I think what happens to us as creatives, we overvalue creativity, the idea, and, right? Because that's what's valued in agencies, and but we're not making anything in the outside world. Your idea is worthless. Like the iPhone, if it was just an idea on paper, it would just be a fantasy. You know, it's right. It's not even a good idea until you make stuff, and that is making is the key. Like I I anyway overvalued thinking. I think I was waiting for the perfect idea to come or for ideas to come. But now I realized that no, it's once you start doing stuff, that's once you start doing stuff, you find out what you want to do. I think people think it comes the other way around. I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what I'll create. I have all these ideas. And so you do nothing. And you just make here's the thing. How many briefs do we get? You can get I can get a brief for a dog food or a medical center or whatever, anything I'm not interested in, I find a way to find joy in everything I've ever worked on. Yeah, because we like to be creative and make stuff. So yeah. it doesn't matter what you do for yourself. And it will feel way better than the medical center or the dog food because what 1% of the jobs go like perfectly the way we want them to and end up the way we want them to. You know, all that frustration that I think you're feeling or that desire or oh, I would like to write a script or a book or start a podcast. Now that feels, goes away on the other side of like doing is the joy you want to feel and that right. creative freedom. That's, yeah. That's why I'm starting to realize and I just spent so much time thinking I just got to a point like am I just full of shit or am I actually going to make stuff. And I, yeah. getting, I'm getting older I was like I just I can't accept that i am been full of shit all these years. Yeah, <laughs> I have to start making things and I'll figure it out and it's happening.
0: And it's happening. And, and I agree with you. I mean, I get so much joy from, you know, when I hit publish on one of these mm-hmm. podcasts, Yeah, I get so, such a feeling of accomplishment and the fact that I actually did something, right? I didn't just talk about it. I did it or with the book or, or whatever and i wish that other people would could experience that because it's it's just awesome and you then you know yeah if you're if you're lucky enough to get some positive feedback on there mm-hmm. i mean it's yeah. it's the best feeling in the world sorry
1: okay. do you feel like before you press publish i don't know if you do but like it's like a little bit of fear still like is it any good or do you are there like is it just joy or do you have any of those feelings with it
0: I have I'll tell you not so much with the podcast I feel pretty confident yeah. but but now like as I'm getting ready to hit publish on my book oh, that's yeah. some of that stuff's creeping in because yeah. it's a short book mm-hmm. right and I'm like is it long enough am I giving people enough you know is there enough actionable stuff in here are people going to read this and go yeah no shit dude i know mm-hmm. all this stuff yeah. all, you know like like that's what's creeping in right now yeah. and that's kind of why like hence i i wrote i dropped in that extra little section the other day cuz i'm like i i want to drop this in cuz i think this is valuable maybe it'll add to my page count. like i'm nervous about this cuz it's my first time yeah. mm-hmm. um so yeah the the podcast i do feel pretty good about every once in a while i feel like hey there was i was I not, you know, did I not ask enough good questions or right. but for the most part I feel that way but the book is a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, which How did you cool. feel?
0: How did you feel when you when you had oh. published on your book?
1: Yeah, I mean it was the same with the course. The course was worse, I would say, yeah. or harder that feeling. I was so like blind cuz the whole time the book was for me. I had built yeah. up an audience beforehand, but I I honestly didn't I think I already said this, but I didn't write it to sell it. I yeah. didn't even write it thinking other people would read it, you know, because yeah. it was like, I need to finish something for me. I think that's what made it uh, good. Cause it's like, you're saying you don't know if is this going to be obvious to everyone. Like I thought that too. I was like, this wasn't obvious to me. And sometimes the obvious things are what we need right. to hear. Or Like yeah. you don't know what you know. And I get that feedback. Yes. So I was really scared. Um, when I published it, and mine uh, wasn't is a short book as well. And uh, I had ordered, so I pressed public. No, yeah. So i had ordered my author copies. And they were like stuck. I don't know, it was like COVID times, and they never came. And I thought, well, they'll come by this time, I'm going to publish on this date. And I set the date, and I still hadn't received my copy. So I'd never touched the book. And then I didn't change the date. I just published it. And I was like, I don't even know what it looks like or what it feels like. Does it feel thin, (laughs) which I shouldn't have done. And then I started to see it posted on social media. Oh,
0: my God. I was
1: like, I have to admit, I've never touched that thing. Like, is it feel like a book? I had to message the first person like privately. I was like so terrified. And then, uh, you know, uh, there was maybe 10 to 12 typos in it. I noticed So I updated that. I think there's still one that uh, I think I have to update. Yeah. But it, yeah, it was it was a trip, and and then you get positive feedback. And my first thought was like, oh yeah, you know that's because they know me. First round of feedback, and then I'm like, oh, that's just because they like me and follow me on LinkedIn. And then it just started to yeah, you know, hear from like heads of the top agencies around the world messaging me, and uh, man, what a feeling! It's incredible. What a feeling! I, I felt great just to do it. You know, that was the goal was to finish something for me. The fact that it's been received so well. Yeah, it just uh, has blown my mind. I, I was seriously, I, I can feel it now. Like brought to tears uh, many times over from things people have said about it. And um, yeah, it's been pretty cool.
0: You're writing. It seems like you're writing every day. Is that true? Because I signed up for your newsletter, yeah. And that day that I signed up, I got one. Uh, my and my email is so crammed with a bunch of stuff that I may <laughs> have
1: got another one. But are you writing like every day? Are you no, creating no. every day? I do write every day, but that newsletter goes once once a week, usually okay. on Mondays. Um okay. but I sometimes miss days. I may shift it to once every two weeks. Um but uh, I'm gonna keep going once a week. I, I last year I took like six weeks off around December, so I may do that. I think it's important for me to just get off the tracks and evaluate what I'm doing and why I'm yeah. doing it. You can get so caught up in I have to do it next week and am I I just am I doing the the right thing here am i focusing on the right things but i write every day what are you writing what do you what like what
0: can you is it sometimes just stuff for yourself or is it always something related to your endeavors here or
1: yeah it's it's like creating content like helpful content um so i'll work on the newsletter so by about wednesday i have the idea for the newsletter that goes out monday and so then i just kind of noodle that and and work on that here and there throughout the week and then tighten it up uh you know saturday sunday morning usually before the house is awake yeah um but yeah i have other ideas for content so i'm working on something now i have so many ideas that i'm working on so a yeah. lot of its content so do you know uh, george tannenbaum He's on, yes is he, he the
0: guy that does the he does the uh the uh he does the impression of the of the french yeah. uh uh, uh, holding company, CEO, that guy, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's hilarious. Yeah. I love him.
1: So I reached out to him because every single day he writes a blog post every single day and has for like 15 years. He wow. also, I think on LinkedIn every single day writes a headline about his services and promotes himself every single day. And so I said to him, Hey, I want to do a spotlight on you and break down the headlines, um, that you're sharing as like a teaching tool. And he was like, awesome. He sent, sent me, I don't know, like 60, the last 60 of them. So I'm going to break those down. That's what I'm working on. I'm actually doing a written uh, creative director uh, interview thing, uh, which you are going to help me with and and be one of my, my interviews. So I work on that. I put it into a layout. It's all written. I send out questions. And like the George Tannenbaum thing, I have, you know, I shared one today. I'm working on one that's like if a advertising creative redid your dating profile that will probably go like valentine's day so i have i've done quotes from nba players and tied them to copywriting techniques they would have used so i'll have a list of like 20 things like that so i'll chip away some i'll work on for like a year i'll be like oh yeah this one's ready to go or i'll have the main idea but not uh, the nuts and bolts and then i'm like oh this would be a fun angle for that one and, and do it i was chatting with this guy He's in Pakistan, he's been rapping since he was 13, but he works in marketing. And he finally, like a year ago, just shared this rap about yeah. marketing. And I reached out. I just loved it. And he's like, he knew me and followed me. And oh, so my gosh. we wrote this like rap together and he's going to take it. And if change it and do his thing and share it. It's just fun, just making things like that's. it's just so fun. So I don't know a lot of things, just making stuff uh, related yeah. to content. That's what I'm working on every day. Yeah how
0: How did you develop that that discipline? Is it just the sheer joy that that's propelling you? Because I imagine there's some days you feel like you don't feel you don't want to do it, but you you sort of probably push yourself through it. But how did you de- develop that discipline? Have you
1: always been that disciplined? No, um, I think it's what one the book. I would just like I have to finish it and. i had a rough draft and i said okay once a week i'm going to start sharing something on linkedin from the book i'll get feedback i'll tighten up the content as i do so 70 percent of it i shared and so that built a habit and i think that just helped me build the habit and working on it for seven years on and off like i would get busy in a contract for three months and not even look at it yeah and i just had i just held it down was like you're getting finished yeah and then sharing once a week helped me build this habit. And halfway through that ended up being two years of sharing content before the book was published. So I had done it for two years, once a week on LinkedIn. And then the newsletter just came out organically. I never wanted one, but it just happened. People wanted one and said they weren't always on LinkedIn. So that's how that started. Yeah. And then I'm just, I just, I don't actually, I'm not a single day where i don't want to do it and yeah. force myself to do it like i really love doing it i wish that's all i could do and that's where my life is heading yeah uh, but i love that i imagine I love that it's probably a next by next year i think i will be able to do it and it will just and man i can't wait to start creating on other platforms i love video uh, maybe maybe there's a podcast in my future i don't know yeah i, I just i want to make everything now i feel yeah. like the floodgates are open i just don't have you know I'm a dad too and yeah I'm still working so it's but I'm chipping away I keep thinking of like uh, the movie Shawshank Redemption yeah you know you have uh, uh Andy Dufresne the main character he would pull that poster back and just scrape away at the wall put it down yeah. go out into the yard and shake his leg and it was like yeah. that quote Andy Dufresne the man who crawled through a river river of shit and came out clean on the other side like Especially if I'm in a project that I, I'm not happy with, I know that even if I spend 10 minutes today, I'm going to scrape away at the wall, put the poster back and keep going. Like, uh, <laughs> I, I, listen, I, I guess it's like, I also love it so much. It's yeah. obvious to me that it's just, it's kind of effortless. Yeah, and it's helpful. It's helping me, and it feels so good to get positive feedback that you're helping other people. Because I just know how hard it was for me early on, yeah. and I just, I guess, I feel like I've just relieved some of that for someone else. Um, yeah,
0: and and you touched on something you know that I think is important to both of us as well, and we we talked about it briefly, but you mentioned being a dad, and yeah. and about you know sort of. I know with the stuff that I've done recently with the podcast and with the book, it's just cool to be able to share that with them and for them to see that, hey, my dad's making stuff, my dad's yeah.
1: doing things. Um, how important is that to you? I mean, that was like a big driver for me to, one, finish that book. Like once I had kids, to myself, I could be the guy who was full of it and all talk and all, right. thought, all thought and no action. But to my kids, I didn't want to be that person, uh, right. I wanted to show them that you can make things. And, you know, they'll see me, I was interviewed in some magazine, and they're like, Oh, there's daddy, my two and a half year old, my six year old, or, or oh, the book, cool. that's daddy's book, they know that or, um, which is cool, I feel like yeah, it, it shows them that it's possible. Even right. if I wrote a shitty book, they'd be like, well, I, uh, you know, I could, I could write better than that, whatever it is. Like, I just, I just feel now it's so important. The things that fear me are the obstacles that come up. It's like as much for them, I need to overcome this. If I expect them to like push themselves and be able to like realize some of their potential, I, I wasn't doing it for a long time and now I'm starting to, and I feel like, and I hope that I'm doing that for them as well.
0: Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. That's cool. So we've come to that point in the uh, in the uh, podcast where where I, the uh, leaf
1: blower is starting. Can you hear that?
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, just barely. Don't worry. Okay. Um, this is real. This is we, we're keeping it real. Okay. Um, yeah. Where I'm, I I would ask you to to share a confession, a creative director confession, and and again, I keep doing this. I keep forgetting to remind my guests about this question. So hopefully, I'm not throwing you a curveball here. But if you had to confess something from your time as a creative director, or even now as a, yeah. you know, as as a writer and as a thought leader, what would you say? What would you? What do you want to confess to?
1: Well, I guess, I feel like I have a lot I could confess to. Um, the one thing is, you know, it does feel strange, to be doing this work, and then be asked to be on podcasts, even for example, or being seen as an expert has been kind of strange. For me, like, just not, not feeling like one. I didn't write a book because I was, you know, David Ogilvy or whoever. Right. I knew everything. It was right. I didn't. I felt like I didn't know enough and and did it. But then I guess I realized I wrote about this the other day that, uh, you know, an expert is just an idiot who committed to an idea. Like, not not to be too self deprecating, but I think we put these people are experts on pedestals or like, you know, they're wearing wizard hats or whatever. And we don't have that. But really, you just have to pick something and commit to it and, and share. Obviously, there's people who know a lot more than I do that aren't, aren't sharing and creating. Right. Um, so I think that's one. I think my other one would be my insecurity over being a creative director, uh, being called that even because I was the first one to give me that title. <laughs> yeah. uh, when I had my own I got a decent sized piece of business when I started freelancing and ran an agency, my own little tiny, I can't even call it an agency, but little tiny shop for about six years Yeah. and then had kind of freelance. I was creative director for a small animation studio. But, you know, like some of your guests who have run uh, bigger departments and things, I've I've not had that experience. It's all been pretty uh, small. So I'll own that one and say that that's uh, one of my yeah.
0: and, and the same thing for me. I mean, I, that that's a similar story for me as well. You know, I haven't led these massive, massive groups. But I think, and I think you'll agree, is the mechanics are the same, right? Yeah. The the only thing that's missing is the scale. And obviously, scale adds certain other dim- dimensions and things that you have to think through. But if I think if the mechanics are solid and you're a good, you could be a, an awesome creative director to one
1: person. Yeah. You know what I mean? So Totally. Yeah. And, and I think it's like being a good person and being empathetic. It's not yeah. about, that's what it's mostly about. And you know, I think it's great. Look, if you feel that way and I feel that way, you're interviewing creative directors that have done that. That's how you're building your craft. And I'm interviewing them in my own way through this written, so I'm learning so much and oh, I'm realizing learning things I didn't know, but also going, oh yeah, I knew th- I knew that too. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: and sometimes that's the value, right? Is just going like, oh yeah, that's that's what I think too. It's, it's it's almost like a like a reinforcement. And at the end of at the end of my book, I say, listen, this is a short book. It's meant to be a a, a guide and something that's going to help you better prepare. But if you want to really get a master class, read this book and then listen to the podcast and hear from all these other people that I've interviewed, and that to to combined is like you know like a like a degree almost right because you're gonna hear from so many people you're gonna hear all kinds of different ideas and and um, you know processes and you know and and also you'll hear all the inner doubts and the things that other people have that you can go oh, okay so I'm not alone
1: that's awesome because uh, there really aren't enough resources I don't think for creative directors or people want to do it I think often in the past it's been you're rewarded for being a good creative and then you get this title, but it's, that's yeah. not enough. Uh, and so it means sometimes that shitty people got the position right. and, or people were just.